Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. This morning we're turning to the sixth chapter of Romans, beginning at verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we have been participating in your worship. We have actively sung your praises. We have actively joined in praying to you. Now help us to continue to be active in the quietness of listening to your word. For that, we need the active unction of your spirit to enable us to hear and respond your message for us today. Bless Pastor Andrew as he opens your word to us so that it does not return void. May we, may we be convicted, comforted, and challenged to grow in our faith as we respond to your love for us. Hear us, our gracious Father, for the sake of your Son, through the work of your life-giving Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. We started uh, in Romans a few weeks ago. We started at the beginning, looking at all, a lot of the, the doctrinal truths and, and getting the heart of the message of Romans when it comes to its theology. Uh, we talked about that. Uh, Bryant reminded of us, reminded us of that last week as we approach this section. We're firmly rooted in God's saving work. Uh, then we started at the end and we came back and we said that that work that God does in our hearts has ramifications for our life. It, it bears fruit in our life, not simply in a life of personal holiness. In fact, when we read Romans 12 to 16, we see that it's very social, uh, it's very communal in its nature, the fruit that it bears, people who aren't anything like each other coming together, uh, people putting themselves uh, below another so they're not causing the weaker one to stumble, people being zealous in generosity, hospitality, all of those things are what we see in, in Romans chapters 12 to 16. 
like we said, we're coming to this middle and we say, okay, how do we do this? How do we live a life that's grounded in Christ, that bears fruit in our lives, supernatural fruit that points the world to the reality of Jesus in us? Not just a mere orthodoxy, not just uh, a social gospel, but something that is really wedded together that speaks of the power of God, and the answer is the Holy Spirit. Uh, and we saw that last week. Uh, here is the reality. You died to sin, and you were made alive in Christ. You were buried with Christ. Uh, you were risen with Him. These are the realities that Paul is bringing to uh, the Roman Christians, and this is where he wants to lead us and say, now, because of that, if you are a person who is a follower of Jesus, you have this union with Christ, the seal of which is the Holy Spirit, which is your power to live the life that God has called us to live. And as we come to this passage today, you see he's, he's very much in the same vein. In fact, he asks basically the same questions. Are, you know, are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Uh, that question has come up. If God has done this, if this is our identity, well then aren't we free to sin since we can't really add anything to our salvation? And Paul's answer and every time this comes up is meganoito, by no means, absolutely not. And the reason is, is because our identity has shifted. Uh, and, and that's where Paul wants to take us today. He wants to take us, use a human illustration, the illustration of slavery, to help us understand what it means that our identity has changed. Just before we get into that, I want to share with you a quote I came across uh, this week. It's from a woman by the name of Martha Nussbaum. Uh, she is a distinguished professor of law and ethics at the University uh, of Chicago. And she says this, she says, There's no emotion that we ought to think harder and more clearly about than anger. Anger greets most of us every day in our personal relationships, in the workplace, on the highway, airline trips, and frequently in our political lives as well. Anger is both poisonous and popular. Even when people acknowledge its destructive tendencies, they still so often cling to anger, seeing it as a strong emotion connected to one's self-respect. If you react to insults and wrongs without anger, perhaps you'll be seen as spineless and downtrodden. When people wrong you, says conventional wisdom, you should use justified rage to put them in their place and exact a penalty. This is her article, and she goes on to talk a little bit about anger and how it plays out, necessarily from a Christian standpoint. But I was intrigued by it because here's the question. If we are slaves to righteousness and not slaves to sin, we're constantly doing battle uh, with the things in our life that come out of 
not being a slave to righteousness, but rather being a slave to sin, worshiping idols. You know, if you think about the idols that you worship, now I know they're not wood and stone, but we all have things that we set our hope on and that sort of uh, control our lives. And the ways that you can discover them, anger, anxiety, arrogance, uh, you know, all of these things, when we see those things coming in our life, it's, it's because we are, are giving in to an idol in our life. We're not living in terms of righteousness, but we're living in terms of something else. When I'm angry or irritated because, you know, things aren't going well in the home, I'm stepping on rice on the floor, and I had planned to do this, and I can't do that, and everything has fallen apart, I have a comfort idol. I have an idol of my own plans, my own way, and it's not being fed, and so I'm irritated, I'm annoyed, I'm angry. Uh, when I become anxious, you know, it's the same thing. If I look out, it's because I'm trusting in my 401k or I'm trusting in my ability to make money on a weekly basis. I'm not trusting in God. And so part of what we're wrestling with today is how do these theological truths bring, you know, have real purchase in our lives? Uh, do, how do they come out in our relationships, especially Paul is talking about it in terms of uh, the Romans. So I want to walk us through this passage uh, with basically three questions, like what does it mean to be a slave, uh, what are the fruits of, of slavery, and then how is it that we receive God's righteousness? And I've kind of given them fancier titles, and the first one is this. Uh, you've got to serve somebody. Uh, I know Dan just raised his head, being a D big Dylan fan. Uh, Bob Dylan sang it very beautifully. Well, some of us will argue whether that was beautiful singing or not, but uh, he said it very clearly. Uh, you got to serve somebody. It may be the devil. It may be the Lord. You got to serve somebody, and and that's exactly what Paul is saying here. He's saying, here's the reality. There are, are two ways. You are either presenting yourselves uh, to the one uh, either of sin, verse 16, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. And then throughout the passage, you have this contrast between a slave of sin and a slave to righteousness. That's the reality for all of us. We are all serving somebody. There is no middle ground in this. Whether you're a politician or a prostitute, wherever you might be, you are serving somebody in your life. Now, Paul is using the imagery of slaves, and it's important for us to listen carefully to what Paul is meaning by this. Um, you know, when we hear slaves, we, we think Africa, we think that horrible middle passage, we think plantations, we, we think a lot of the things and then the repercussions that we continue to feel in our country because of that horrible institution of slavery. And certainly Rome knew that kind of slavery. Rome was very imperialistic. They were going out, they were conquering, conquer, <coughs> 
place like Macedonia, bring the slaves into Rome. They were, they were subjugated. They were treated horribly in many ways. Uh, there was that kind of slavery in Rome. But there was another kind of slavery in the ancient world, in Rome, also known among the Jews. And this was more what we might call indentured servanthood. Uh, this idea that you might have a debt uh, that you cannot pay, but in order to make progress in life, you, you give yourself as a slave to a master who will pay that debt for you. Uh, and then you, in return, you give them their service and, and you are called a slave. Or sometimes the word is used bond servant. And that's the idea that Paul is giving us here. He's saying you are presenting yourself some, you know, one way. You're either presenting yourself to sin or you're set presenting yourself to righteousness. Now, remember, this is as people, he's talking, who have been set free. You've been set free, you've been crucified with Christ, you've been raised with Him, but, but now we're talking about how is it that you live. And, and, and you're continuing on, Paul is saying, presenting yourselves as slaves to sin, even though you've been set free from sin. You know, sin no longer has any power over you. It's not that we are given this, uh, we, can't, we, we can't break free of that. It, we are free of that. But you're presenting yourself as a slave to sin. Paul is saying, be who you are. Present yourself as a slave to righteousness. So we think about these things. We think about anger. Uh, when, we, when we feel that come over us, maybe you're sitting driving somebody has cut you off or somebody's on their phone in front of you and they don't realize that the light is turning, you're there through the whole cycle and you're just feeling the comfort of the Holy Spirit washing over you. Uh, you it, it, you're not actually because you're presenting yourself you know, as a, God has given you everything that you need to, to, to put forth a, a righteous foot at that standpoint, but we, we, we aren't who we are at that point. God has declared us, God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness, and we aren't who we are at that point. And you can do the same thing with anxiety. You can do the same thing with arrogance. You can walk through all of these things. And Paul says, uh, present your bodies as slaves to righteousness. It's all about the master. You know, when, we, when we're talking about this kind of slavery, it's all about the master. The master, in, in, and in this case, when, when Paul is talking about presenting yourself to slaves to righteousness, he's talking about a good, benevolent, kind master, one who is going to pay your debts, one who is going to continue to love you and put you in a good place, one that is going to continue to work with you. And that's the place where you want to go. You know that you can be there because you can trust the master at this point. He has your best interests in mind. Paul says, present yourselves as slaves to this master. Now, the second thing that I want to note is what, what does it do? It, it produces fruit. We see that here in verse 20, uh, but it's really throughout. When you were slaves of sin, you were free with regards to righteousness, 21. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. 
But now that you've been set free from sin and become slaves to God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. You saw that earlier too in 19. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness... So now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. So there's this idea that where we, where we stand in turn of our identity and live out our identity, it's going to bear fruit in our life, and that fruit is going to be noticed. On the one hand, if we allow sin to reign in our mortal bodies, even though it has no power over you, but if you give it the power and you allow sin to reign in your mortal bodies, you will have fruit in keeping with that. There will be lawlessness. There will be death. There will be things that are no good because it's not a good master. Uh, sin, sin, anger, anger does not do anything positive for you. I'm not talking about righteous anger. Put that aside. I, I'm talking about unrighteous anger. It doesn't do anything positive for you or for the relationships that you have. It's a bad master. Uh, and so we, we are encouraged to move into things like joy, peace, uh, patience, kindness, goodness, all of those things that are fruits of the Spirit, right? So, when we're there, the, the fruits are, are lawlessness leading to death. They are anti-peace. They are anti the kind of things that, that our hearts long for. On the other hand, when we present ourselves as slaves to righteousness, it bears fruit unto life. Now, we need to stop for a minute or pause for a minute and talk about righteousness because there is a danger here. Um, and hopefully you're starting to pick up on, on this theme as we walk through that. There's a danger of interpreting the use of righteousness here. Dikaiosune is the Greek word. Danger of interpreting it too personally. Uh, Paul isn't talking about merely personal righteousness or personal holiness. He's talking about something that is very communal. And, and we sometimes make this mistake when we come to these concepts and we, we tend to really, even I would say especially in the evangelical church, we tend to really isolate them in terms of my own personal relationship with Jesus and, and, and my rightness. Paul isn't necessarily talking about this. Again, remember, all the applications are communal. All the applications are things like, you know, uh, getting along with people who are very different than you, uh, not being a stumbling block for a brother or sister who is in a weaker position than you, being zealous with your hospitality, generous with you. That's what Paul's talking about. And, and in fact, you know, this word, dikaiosune, righteousness, is most often translated justice, which is really interesting because you think about, uh, you think about Rome and what it stood for, Rome was, was amazing. I mean, they built all these roads and they imperialized so much of the world, which is not necessarily a good thing, but uh, they, you know, they, it was the Pax Romana, Roman justice. And, 
But there wasn't really a lot of, I mean, there was good principles of justice, but they were bringing peace at the expense of subjugation. I mean, it was, it was sort of a false peace. And what Paul is saying here is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And remember how confrontational that phrase is. He's, he's going against the gospel of Caesar. He's saying there is a righteousness, there is a justice that is more comprehensive than what Rome is bringing. There is, there is this principle of goodness that comes out of the person of Jesus that the whole world is longing for. The whole world is thirsty for. Let me give you just another example of what I mean by this. There's another word we've come into contact with today. Actually, it's back in our Declaration of Forgiveness in Titus 3, where it says, when goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not by works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, uh, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, who He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so being justified by His grace, we might become heirs uh, according to the hope of eternal life. Now, that's talking about your personal salvation, right? Yes, but not only that. that. That term, washing of regeneration, is a, is a unique Greek term that's used twice in, in the New Testament. Uh, this is the second time. The first time is in Matthew 19, verse 28. And here Jesus is talking about uh, the Son of Man come into, uh, into, into glory. This is in, in respect to the rich young ruler. And, and he's saying, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. When he says, truly I say to you, in the new world, that's that exact same Greek word, palingonesis, that is having to do with the washing of regeneration. Now, here's the point, and this ties into the idea of righteousness. Whenever the Scriptures are talking about renewal, it's not less than our personal renewal, but it's so much more than that. And we miss the point of what God is doing if we only make it about us and Jesus in the corner, uh, if we only make it about my personal righteousness and my personal holiness, it's not less than that, but it's more than that. And that is what Paul is saying here. He is saying you are slaves to a vision of righteousness, holiness, uh, of wholeness that the world is longing for. I mean, what are we all looking for in our tribalized America, whether you are Antifa or social justice warrior or Make America Great Again or a Tea Party, you are longing for peace. You are longing for wholeness. You are longing for goodness. You are longing to be a slave to the kind of righteousness that Paul is saying, present your bodies as slaves to this righteousness. You're not going to find it in politics. You're not going to find it there. You're going to find it 
in a, re- in a relationship with Jesus Christ because that is what his mission is. His mission was to save us from our sins, but in order to make a whole new world, uh, a washing of regeneration that extends far as the curse is found, right? We sing it every Christmas time, far as the curse is found. And that is what Paul is talking about with regards to righteousness. And so he says, submit yourselves there. You know, present your bodies as slaves to that righteousness. And you will begin to see fruit. You'll begin to see fruit in your personal life, maybe in a battle that you have against lust or covetousness or a battle that you have with anger or anxiety. You'll begin to see fruit there. But you'll also begin to see fruit in your relationships. You know, what... What is, the, what is the evidence that Christ has come in power? I mean, one of the things that we have is that we are all here together and we like each other. I mean, that doesn't happen without Jesus. That doesn't happen because we, you know, if we're slaves to sin, selfishness reigns. If we're slaves to sin, anger and anxiety reign. But if we're slaves to righteousness, we are transformed by the renewal of our, of our spirits through the Spirit of God. We've been crucified with Him, raised with Him. We are somebody very different. Now, this is what it means then to, to follow Him in our sanctification. You, you see that here in this passage, uh, verses, verse 19. Present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Some of you maybe don't even know the word sanctification. Some of you may know that it's a theological word. Maybe you came across it in your Bible at some time before. There are a couple concepts that we talk about in terms of one's life with Christ. We talk about justification, um, and, and that is uh, we think about it in terms of a legal concept that we've been declared righteous. If you believe in Jesus, you believe that he died for your sins, uh, and you uh, repent uh, of those sins and say, I am trusting in you for my salvation, you are said to be justified, being declared righteous. Then we know that, you know, in the end, we are going to be accepted into heaven. And we are going to reign with him. You saw a little bit of that in Matthew 19. And and we talk about that as glorification. Now, we know that justification and glorification are things that we cannot do ourselves. Like we cannot uh, forgive our own sins. We cannot uh, present ourselves wholly into the heavenly realms. In between justification and sanctification, though, is this thing that we call sanctification. And and sanctification has been confusing, uh, I think, for a lot of folks that are following Jesus and trying to follow Jesus, and myself included. Uh, Because sanctification, we say, all right, justification by God, glorification by God. I can't do those things, but sanctification, I can do this. Uh, I can work out this. In fact, I even have a passage like work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And so 
we, we at least see it as something that we cooperate with God in. You know, God does His part, I do my part. And, and this is the way that we go in sanctification. But that's not how the Scriptures talk about it, actually. Uh, the Scriptures talk about sanctification as something that God does in us. I mean, He has, he has done it is doing it, and, and will complete it. It's got a past, present, and future aspect to it. Our job is to live in it. Our job is to be the people that God has, is, and, and will finally make us to be. So, when we come to anger, our job isn't to conquer anger, uh, overcome it. That's God's job, and He's already done it. He's already conquered anger. Our job is to say, okay, I am not going to be the, I'm not going to let my, uh, myself be a slave to sin. I am going to be who you have made me to be. I am going to live here and not here. Do you see the difference in that, in that approach, in that way of thinking? It's so important because it, it, it will mean everything in terms of your discouragement and encouragement in the Christian life. If you see your job, your job, as becoming more and more like Christ, you're going to be constantly discouraged because you're going to constantly fail. We're going to talk about that as we come to Romans chapter 7. But if you recognize that what you are called to do is to more and more receive and rest on the finished work of Christ as your sanctification, then you will begin to understand the magnanimity of God with regards to who we are. You know, and, and how do we do that? Well, one of the big ways that we do that is we repent. You know, John, uh, John Newton, uh, author of Amazing Grace, he's got this great letter that's really been meaningful in my life. It's called The Benefits or the Advantages of Remaining Sin. And you think, what in the world? What's he talking about? Uh, why, why, why is remaining sin a good thing? Well, he asks that question. He said, God, when he saved us, he has the power to completely deliver us from sin, and we never have to battle it anymore. Why didn't he do that? If God is good, and God is perfect, He's all-wise, He's all-knowing, why didn't He do it that way? Well, what He says is a couple of things. He says, one, it keeps us humble. You know, He speaks about it in terms of this relational aspect. As we, as we repent, as we recognize, as we deal with the areas where we allow sin to reign, where we give it purchase in our life, it keeps us humble. We recognize that not one of us is better than anybody else here. We all struggle. But secondly, He says... Uh, it will drive us back to Jesus constantly, over and over and over again. And that's what I would say is sanctification. The degree in which you are resting in your union with Christ, the degree in which you are resting in the fact that right now you can't add anything to your justification, you can't do anything to take anything away from it, but you are wholly united to Christ, that is the degree to which you are sanctified. And, and that is where the Spirit is continuing to draw us 
day after day into the realization of that truth. And again, this is going to have tremendous implications for how you live your life. It's not just a personal thing. How you engage with your neighbors in this congregation, how you engage with your neighbors outside of it, the joy in which you share the gospel. I mean, when you, when you really realize this, I, I mean, you just want to tell everybody because this is the best news possible. And it's even better because it's a gift. Many of you know Romans 6.23, you've memorized it, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When Paul is coming to the, the Roman Christians and he's saying, this is who you are. You've been crucified with Christ. And you have been risen with him again to newness of life. What did you do to deserve that? And the answer is a resounding absolutely nothing. In fact, what I deserved was death. I, I deserved hell. I, I deserved absolute alienation from the God that created me. But Christ, while we were still sinners, Romans 5 verse 8, sent His Son to pursue us and to purchase us, to give His life for us. And now the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, His Son. Do you realize the, the gifted nature of this? Like, I, you know, this will keep us away from any type of pride, any type of arrogance. I mean, we, we have done nothing to deserve it. The gift of God is eternal life. It's just so difficult for us because we, we want to add something. You know, we, we want to participate in our sanctification. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Incidentally, the second part of that verse is, for it is God who works in you to will and to work. Like, we don't even bring our own cooperation. God is the one that gives us the faith. God is the one that gives us the ability to, to, to stand here as slaves to righteousness. God is the one who does that. It's, it's His free gift. And as much as we want to add something, we can't. We can just wear it, the gift. There was a story I came across recently. It's a man who was given... Uh, he had a good friend who owned a department store, uh, high-end men's store, clothing, accessories, that kind of thing, gave him a, a very generous gift certificate, so the man and his wife uh, went, he was smart, to bring his wife along to pick out his clothes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I should be that smart. Um, the, uh, he, he took, uh, they went to the store and they were going to spend this gift card. And they had also said, you know what, we're going to spend more than what's on this gift card because we want to contribute, we want to show our gratitude uh, to our friend, and, and so we're going to overspend the gift card. So as they're going through, the, this friend met him at the store, they're looking through, and he's sort of slyly keeping the, the figures in his head, and he gets up to the cash register, and he's got his credit card ready because he knows that he's spent over and uh, the man rings it all up, and he says, oh, look at this. You've only spent half your gift card. And they're like, what? And they're like, meant to spend over. They figured he must have given them the stuff at cost. So they went home. 
couple weeks later, a couple, I don't know exactly how long it was, they went back to the store and they're like, we're going to spend the rest and we are definitely going to blow by the gift card amount, come up with arms full of clothes, present it on the counter. The guy rings it all in. He says, you're not going to believe this. You're exactly zero. You don't owe me anything. And you're like, no, no, no. I know we went over the amount of this card. He's like, you don't understand the way this gift certificate works. You can keep buying and buying and buying, but you are never going to owe me anything. It is a free gift for you. Your job is to go wear the clothes. And this is the gospel, that Christ has come and he said, slaves to righteousness, Present your bodies. So you can't do anything to add to what he has already done. Be there. Wear the clothes. Live it. Allow it to speak in our communities, in your family, in, uh, you know, in your neighborhoods, in the boardroom, in the, in the workplace, wherever it is. Uh, allow this grace to flow through. It's a free gift. One that's meant to be shared. To God be the glory. Amen. Father, we thank you for this message. And we ask that you would, uh, this, this teaching, this word, <coughs> we pray that it would bear fruit in our lives. We ask that uh, you would take what you have so freely given to us and, and cause it to, uh, to shine forth that others may see that you are the best master, the kindest uh, the kindest master, the one who not only saves us but has righteousness for and renewal for the entirety of the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.